Welcome to Alessia's Divine Comedy, a journey through Dante's masterpiece, a read-along podcast hosted by me, Alessia Cesana Harris. This is episode 14, Inferno, Canto Quattordicesimo, The Second Day, Sunrise. Buongiorno. I don't know about you, but I am happy to see the long dark night of the soul come to an end. Although, I guess that as we enter the third ring and get closer to the final two circles, it makes no difference what time of the day it is. It's about 22 degrees Celsius at the moment, and even a second coffee was not enough to wake me up. So I kind of feel like I'm experiencing the canto in my flat. And let me tell you, I am not a fan of the heat. The canto begins with Dante, moved by patriotism, taking good care of the branches of the bush that we saw at the end of the last canto, and then following Virgil to the third and final ring. This one houses those who are violent against God, and their punishment is being under a rain of fire while sitting or walking or lying down, depending on the nature of their sin, and the punishment is a parallel to the way that Sodom was distracted in the Bible. One of the souls lying down is named as Capenius, and Virgil tells him that the reason why he is punished much more strongly than the others is his excessive pride, pride that was evident in the way he introduced himself in the verses before. That which I was in life, I am in death. And that is a great Greek warrior, although he uses the Latin name for Zeus when cursing him. He was known for his immense size and strength. Anyway, the Jew travelers move on and reach another tiny river of blood. And I'm now just confused. It might be the heat, or it's just that we have yet another passage about classical antiquity so that Dante can keep his poetic structure. It's an explanation of how the three rivers of hell came about, but to me it really like the kind of random conversations you have when you're trying to fill the silence. So I had to dig into why the whole canto seems to revolve around this old man of Crete, and it's quite interesting. The description of the head, made of gold and arms and chest of silver, etc., is an almost direct quotation from the Bible. In the book of Daniel, chapter 2, verses 31 to 33, we have the same description, except the brass was bronze. So I guess it is a direct quotation with an error. Anyway, these verses are a dream of the king of Babylon, which the prophet Daniel was the only one able to interpret. In the dream, the statue was for successive kingdoms, starting with Babylon, and it was destroyed by a rock, which was not cut by men, which signifies the kingdom of God, and the ruins of the statue becoming a mountain where the kingdom of God on earth. So, the book of Daniel is considered an apocalypse, which is a literary genre in which a heavenly reality is revealed to humanity. So this raises a question about whether Dante intended this chapter to be an apocalypse too. The different parts of the statue are different eras of humanity, 
beginning with the golden age when there was no sin and there forms no tears to make up these rivers that fall out of the cracks that affect every part of the body except the head. The Chufi are the contemporary times and they identify the division between papacy and the empire. The empire is made of iron as it was strong in military and earthly terms and the right foot is of baked clay. Even if the material is not as strong in worldly terms, the statue rests more of its weight on this foot. In the biblical narrative, we were in the Golden Age, so destruction was yet to come. So Dante is sort of making a continuation of this prophecy and taking it to a conclusion. The fact that the man looks at Rome like in a mirror then is relevant. As we've discussed before, Dante, and not even just seemed to be honest, so Rome as dominated by corruption. The addition of the rivers to the biblical imagery gives us a sense that Dante saw us as having reached the end of civilization through the decadence of the years between 607 BC and 300 AD. Uh, the rest of the description of his position is also relevant. Damienta in Egypt symbolizes the center of the ancient civilization, while Rome was, of course, the center of the world of the time. And unsurprisingly, if you look at the position of Mount Ida, you'll find that it's halfway between the Middle East and the West. While this canto is full of references to the antiquity, like the one following the description of the rain, which is a reference to a letter of Alexander the Great to Aristotle, boy, Dante was obsessed, or the one about the birth of Jesus, the biblical themes are quite strong. However, there appears to also be a philosophical interpretation based on, you might have guessed, the Nicomachean Ethics by St. Thomas Aquinas in the Summa Theologiae, part 1, part 2, question 74, uh, answer 2. In this interpretation, the old man is the decadence of the human soul, which begins with the head of gold of free will, but then sees the other sections, which are the psychological faculties ruled by sin. And the tears of the old man is an allegory of sin, which is born out of men and punishes men in these rivers. And in the 19th century came also an interpretation of these passages in political terms where the statue is the degeneration of the monarchy and the looking upon Rome was in fact a desire for a return to the origins of that golden age of empire with Augustus, which we know from the treaty on the monarchy was Dante's ideal. I have to wonder though how much of this was coloured by the prejudices of the intellectuals of the time as we're talking about the period in history where the question of restoring the unity of the peninsulas was in the minds of anyone who had nothing better to do than sit, think and talk politics with other people equally unburdened by work. The reference for what I talked about today is, once again, the Encyclopedia Nantesca. My comments are come from things I know after 20 years of studying literature, history and philosophy, or things I look up in there, or other sources that I name as a quote. I know I've called Dante out a lot for showing off his culture, but I can hear my mother saying that I should look at myself in the mirror.
I'm afraid she is right, and I'm only admitting it to it, because unless you tell her, she won't know. I start to feel like at the end of these hundred days, I'll have written an autobiography entitled Dante and Me that'll be a bit like Julie and Julia. A lovely film, though, if you need to feel some Dante-free time today. Speak to you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Alessia's Divine Comedy, A Journey Through Dante's Masterpiece. Thank you also to Alexander Nakarada for the music, which is fun for 10 or adds if it was not meant as a Roman numeral, and is available in the public domain. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Alessia underscore Sheik or on my blog www.sheikandcatholic.com.